everybody. Get ready for an informative episode from Parents' Rights in Education. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and I'm looking forward to our time together. We stand and defend the fundamental rights of all parents to raise their children and firmly believe children belong to their families, not the state, not the teachers, the teachers' union, or any other bureaucrat. I invite you to visit our website, parentsrightsined.org. Sign up to receive our news alerts. Like our Facebook page. Join or form a Parents' Rights and Education affiliate chapter. Making your voice heard is always easier with others. Just grab a couple friends and you're there. We will help with training, information, branding, and contact referrals. Let's start a Facebook group for you. Submit the chapter inquiry form on our website, parentsrightsined.org. Dan Gallagher, this is Tuesday, January 5th. Happy New Year 2021. Tomorrow is the big day. All eyes on Washington, D.C. I'm confident. I'm confident. I, I don't know exactly what the outcome will be, but I am confident that... Uh, that it will be good. And one reason I believe this is because of the uh, huge strides that our government has made under the direction of Donald J. Trump, our president. He's still our president, by the way. Uh, in honor of him, I thought it would be appropriate to read to you his executive order on expanding educational opportunity through school choice. Our president gets it. He knows, he knows what's going on in the public schools today, and he is fighting for excellent education, not the mediocre education that we have today serving the teachers' unions. This is dated on December 28th, 2020, three days after Christmas. By the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and laws of the United States of America, and in order to ensure the education, health, safety, and well-being of America's children, our most essential resource upon which the future of our great nation depends. It is hereby ordered as follows. Section 1, Purpose. As part of their efforts to address the public health challenges and uncertainties posed by the COVID-19 pandemic, State and local officials shut down in-person learning for the vast majority of our more than 56 million elementary and secondary school students beginning in late February and early March of 2020. Since then, however, our nation has identified effective measures to facilitate the safe resumption of in-person learning, and the federal government has provided more than $13 billion to states and school districts to implement those measures. The prolonged deprivation of in-person learning opportunities has produced undeniably dire consequences for the children of this country. 
The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has stated that school attendance is negatively correlated with a child's risk of depression and various types of abuse. States have seen substantial declines in reports of child maltreatment while school buildings have been closed, indicating that allegations are going unreported. These reductions are driven in part by social isolation from the school teachers and support staff with whom students typically interact and who have an obligation to report suspected child maltreatment. The American Academy of Pediatrics, AAAP, has also found that school closures have a, quote, substantial impact on food security and physical activity for children and families, unquote. Additionally, a recent survey of educators found student absences from school, including virtual learning, have nearly doubled during the pandemic. And as AAP has noted, chronic absenteeism is associated with alcohol and drug use, teenage pregnancy, juvenile delinquency, and suicide attempts. School closures are specifically difficult for families with children with special needs. Schools provide not only academic supports for students with special needs, but they also provide much-needed in-person therapies and services, including physical and occupational therapies. A recent survey found that 80% of children with special needs are not receiving the services and supports to which they are entitled and that approximately 40% of children with special needs are receiving no services or supports. Moreover, the survey found that virtual learning may not be fully accessible to these students, as children with special needs are twice as likely to receive little or no remote learning and to be dissatisfied with the remote learning received. Low-income and minority children are also disproportionately affected by school closures. In low-income zip codes, students' math progress decreased by nearly 50% while school buildings were closed in the spring, and the math progress of students in middle-income zip codes fell by almost a third during the same period. A recent analysis projected that if in-person classes do not fully resume until January 2021, Hispanic, black, and low-income students will lose 9.2, 10.3, and 12.4 months of learning, respectively. A failure to quickly resume in-person learning options is likely to have long-term economic effects on children and their families. According to a recent study, if in-person classes do not fully resume until January 2021, the average student could lose $61,000 to $82,000 in lifetime earnings or the equivalent of a year of full-time work. Additionally, in 2019, more than 90% of children under the age of 18 had at least one employed parent. Many employed parents do not have the option of engaging in remote work that allows them the flexibility to supervise their children during the day 
when in-person learning options are not available. Without the resumption of in-person learning opportunities, the economic and social harms resulting from such lost employment opportunities will continue to compound. To help mitigate these harms, the Department of Health and Human Services recently announced additional relief for low-income parents by allowing states to use funds available through the Child Care and Development Fund to subsidize child care services and services that supplement academic instruction for children under the age of 13 who are participating in virtual instruction. Nevertheless, virtual instruction is an inadequate substitute for in-person learning opportunities, and this aid is insufficient to meet current needs. While some families, especially those with financial means, have been able to mitigate school disruptions through in-person options, such as homeschooling, private schools, charter schools, and innovative models like micro-schools and learning pods, for many families, their children's residentially assigned public school remains their only financially available option. Unfortunately, more than 50% of all public school students in the United States began school remotely this fall. These children, including those with special needs, are being underserved due to the public education system's failure to provide in-person learning options. Students whose families pay tuition for their education are also facing significant hardships due to the economic disruptions caused by the pandemic. Scores of private schools, including approximately 100 Catholic schools, have permanently closed since the onset of COVID-19. And more than half of our nation's private schools are believed to have lost enrollment due to the pandemic. These closures and declining enrollments are harmful to students, bad for communities, and likely to impose increased strain on public school systems. I am committed to ensuring that all children of our great nation have access to the educational resources they need to obtain a high-quality education and to improving students' safety and well-being, including by empowering families with emergency learning scholarships. Section 2, Providing Emergency Learning Scholarships for Students. The Secretary of Health and Human Services shall take steps consistent with law to allow funds available through the Community Services Block Grant Program to be used by grantees and eligible entities to provide emergency learning scholarships to disadvantaged families for use by any child without access to in-person learning. These scholarships may be used for, one, tuition and fees for a private or parochial school, two, homeschool, micro school, or learning pod costs, 
Three, special education and related services, including therapies, or tutoring or remedial education. Section three, general provisions. Nothing in this order shall be construed to impair or otherwise affect One, the authority granted by law to an executive department or agency or the head thereof, or two, the functions of the director of the Office of Management and Budget relating to budgetary, administrative, or legislative proposals. This order shall be implemented consistent with applicable law and subject to the availability of appropriations. And this order is not intended to and does not create any right or benefit, substantive or procedural, enforceable at law or in equity by any party against the United States, its departments, agencies, or entities, its officers, employees, or agents, or any other person. This is signed by Donald J. Trump, the White House, December 28th, 2020. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never heard of anything uh, similar to this, not nearly with this, uh, uh, this amount of teeth uh, when it comes to uh, school choice, and especially coming from the White House. I think we need competition in the marketplace, and I believe that parents are what they're looking for in a public school system in uh, quality education, in choices of different kinds of things that their students are taught, uh, practical life skills kinds of um, uh, instruction. Uh, it's not happening. It's not happening in the public school system. They're focused on other things, including psychological counseling, uh, gender identity, uh, promotion, etc., cetera, uh, and going behind parents' backs, keeping confidential uh, things that are said between counselors and students without parents' knowledge or consent, referring them to uh, medical treatments without their parents' knowledge or consent. This is unacceptable. And because they've crossed the line, parents are willing to pull their children out. Now, I want to tell you about a, uh, something that's going on in the state of Oregon I just learned of uh, from a teacher in the Tigard-Tualatin School District, uh, she explained to me that she asked one of the staff, so, you know, how's it going with the online schooling and, and unenrollment? And this administrator admitted they are not counting students who miss 10 consecutive days in a row. They are not unenrolling them. And that is a policy of the school district. If you miss 10 consecutive days of school, you were just automatically unenrolled. But now they're not doing that. And actually, a lot of students are not attending the online schools, but they're still being counted as being enrolled. Why? Because the districts are concerned that they will not have enough students to qualify for adequate funding. Well, I, don't, I think it might be adequate, actually, based upon the number of students who are coming back, who are, who are actually coming back. But their goal is always for the benefit of the teachers. I consider that fraud if they're not unenrolling students, as they should be. So check with your, check with your local school district. If you have taken your child out, 
and you have not contacted the school district in writing to let them know that, that you are not planning on coming back for the rest of the year, email them. Ask for, ask for a return email confirming that your child has been unenrolled. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to subscribe to our future podcasts. Go on our website and click on the podcast icon. Do you know any parents who don't have time to read? This is the perfect solution. Perfect thing to do when you join our organization is to present the proclamation to your local school board. We make things easy for you at Parents' Rights in Education, and we'd love to have you join us. Please fill out the form on our website called Join Us. Hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.